clubhouse. Welcome to Escaping Gilead. This is Paul. This is Caroline. And we're going to talk about the fourth episode of the new fourth season of Hulu's Handmaid's Tale. This episode was called Milk. <laughs> what do you think about this title, Paul? Well, I didn't know that that's how they transport milk. You didn't know? Refrigerated tanker? No, I guess I didn't identify that. I always look at those and I see, I think that that's uh, some think- sort of hydrocarbon or something in there. Yeah, I always think it's chemicals, yeah. right? Always. I also was getting the, perhaps the Italian with mother's milk, maybe. Because we were talking a lot about Janine and and motherhood. This definitely was a Janine-centric episode for as much as June takes up most of the story and a lot of this episode. I think this episode itself was meant to show us that all along, just like everyone else in Janine's life, we, the audience, have been underestimating what she might mean to this show moving forward. Let's jump into her backstory because this is something that we haven't gotten and I was really happy to get about Janine. Did you know that this is not made up for the show, this idea of the crisis pregnancy center? Did you know that this is a real thing? Um, I think so. It's not something that I know personally about, but I do think that there are specific places that are more driven towards keeping the the mother from having the abortion versus places that are far more like neutral. They're just there for the medical care of it all. Well, just for my own education before the podcast, I did look up crisis pregnancy center, the way that that doctor lists it out. Information came right to the top of the search from credible news sources explaining pretty much what we saw in this episode in such a way that it almost felt like the show was teaching us a little. And you know how much I love it when shows teach us. Uh, still, this I think someone out there is going to benefit from that information, having it. But I was not aware. I, I could have looked at that and thought this was an invention of the show since presumably this baby would have been conceived and uh, carried during the the birth rate downturn that the world was going through in the show's history. So the idea of being talked out of an abortion seems right on the money and something that you probably encounter everywhere, not just a, a crisis pregnancy center. Right. I actually was a little bit feeling this heebie-jeebs, like, is this some sort of early Gilead front? You know, like we kind of exactly. learned that there were other people sort of infiltrated into different, what appeared to be regular businesses, schools and doctor's offices and whatnot to get information on people. And I thought, wow, this would be perfect because you would know who were the fertile women. So you could have this abortion clinic and essentially just be collecting information. Yes. So I really felt that this episode was difficult because there are a lot of women who will be sitting here watching this episode. And, and you know, I should say that differently. There's, there's a lot of families, couples, women, people from all over the place that are affected by abortion and the choice to have an abortion. For my own self, I'm very pro-choice. When they were sitting there saying, all women regret doing this. No one's fine after killing their baby. My heart was like breaking because I'm thinking some unsuspecting viewer is sitting here watching this not expecting to get this speech. This is not something that you necessarily want to revisit. You can be fine with your decision, but but to be listening to this, I was like, oh my gosh, this woman is, she's tough to take. It was a hard episode to get through for a couple of plot points. Yeah. And that, I mean, we've said it before on this podcast that we tend to watch shows that we enjoy so much that 
going back and watching an episode might bring us a moment of of happy nostalgia. And The Handmaid's Tale continues to be <laughs> one up, one down <laughs> sort of yeah, viewing. And not to say that it's not well made or that it's not a, you know a great story. It's just difficult. Maybe with some time you go back and you watch it again. But you're right. I mean, once once I watch each episode, I'm like, oh my gosh, I just want to get to the next part of the story. But this was hard to get through. I also didn't realize that this would be the second baby for Janine. I assumed right away that this was going to be Caleb. You know, when they were talking about it, I was like, oh, okay, this woman's going to talk her out of it. And this baby is going to end up being Caleb. So when it turns out she has a little toddler at home, I was like, okay, come on. She is doing all she can. She's obviously doing this on her own. I could see where having a second baby would be daunting. Exactly. It's hard to sum up Janine. And that's a credit to her, both, I would say, the crafting of the character as as written but also the the actress's ability to portray this person who is at once several different things she has uh, that childlike element to her and that leads you to underestimate what she's what she can handle but then she she actually is a grown woman and she does have she does feel that responsibility and the weight and all that's just the way that she deals with it maybe isn't the same as what everybody else does. What I thought was really a, an interesting opportunity here was to show us that she was not a religious person before because they bothered to have the woman say, are you religious at the mm, crisis center? And she said, no, that was really helpful because then later, you know, when she's, when she's talking to June and really throughout this entire show, she consistently is talking about how God's choosing this and God's watching that and, and just all these things. So it was important to note the gigantic change in her. You know, I missed that in the moment, but you're absolutely right. She has turned to God in a way in this show that is important to note that she didn't come from that. I have to say that... I had a, a strange uh, incident for my own self. I don't find myself particularly religious. And yet anytime I can think of a very specific time, I fell off of my bike and I hit my face and, and I broke my nose. Instantly I was saying, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. Now I'm not somebody who prays on the regular. I'm not somebody whatever, but it's like instantly in crisis, that's where I went. You know, mm-hmm. and so a little bit, I, I mean, I really understand the idea that this is such an extreme time, you know, everything going on in Gilead, the idea that she turns to God and, and is looking for answers. And I don't look at it as the Gileadian God. I look at it as that really innocent going back to basics. It's like, I need something to be bigger than myself. I have to think something's watching out for me. I feel like that's where I see her go when she has these moments when she really starts talking about God. It tends to be when things are really falling apart and she's really lost. And you can't blame her for that. Not even a little bit. Were you surprised at the second clinic and how the doctor was so forthright and accepting and just gave her the pills and how simple it all really was? No. I was not surprised. I I hope that there are places like that for families and women to turn that give them what they need. They've got to say their bit because the law forces them to say it. Right. But their heart is in helping the person that's in the pla- on the planet right now make the best decision for them. 
And I understand, listeners, that everybody, this is a very polarizing topic. So, I mean, you can have your own ideas about when life starts and all that stuff. But I think in this case, we could all see that Janine was struggling and that she could not have another baby at this time. And so in a lot of ways, when the doctor said you already did the hard part, I respected everything that was happening there. It, It made sense to me. And I think they did a really great job through just the most simple things. Her just having the Denny's waitress name tag on. That's all you had to know about what her life was like. You know, we've all we all know what that looks like and we all know that she's not making any money and this is really a hard life for her and you know, picking up second shifts and all that kind of stuff. So, you already knew what was going on with her. The kind of life where you're having to beg for someone to cover shifts and and all that, which is a week to week kind of existence uh, that a lot of people can identify with, and and if even if you can't, you you know someone that can, and and so right. it, it it clicks automatically. So this really set up this whole idea that Janine is a stronger than anyone really ever realized, can absolutely make decisions, and that she has been underestimated this entire time. That she does have a much more complicated past. She's not just this simple girl who came into the situation kind of they kind of they kind of painted her out. I want to say they even used pretty bad words like you know that she was some sort of I don't know I know she wasn't the girl that they there was a handmaid remember that they described as basically being like behind the 7-eleven like turn and tricks kind of thing so I know Janine wasn't described as that but well, it was promiscuous sort of, though yeah it was in that vein that it was like she was just kind of hanging out on the streets which now we see no she wasn't she was a hard-working mom of a little tiny guy doing it by herself trying doing her very best. Caleb looked happy and healthy and, you know, and they were trying, scraping by. What you're thinking of is the, uh, the scene from the red center when she had to sit like in the middle of the girls and they all had to like point and call her whore or or something to that effect. And just, and now we see what that amounted to, which is, I think going to be something a lot of people can identify with and to be called a whore for, for just like you said, trying being a single mom, just trying, <laughs> working hard. I, I give really... us an idea of the extreme viewpoint of, of Gilead. If you hadn't got it yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know what? It, it's interesting. I think I had kind of given up the idea that we would get a backstory on Janine because, you know, way back when in, in the early season, season one, we were getting all the June and the Luke and Moira and like what their lives were like before. And we had all this backstory. But once we got into some of these characters, we even got Serena Joy and Fred and, and all that. But like Janine... I think it's kind of a gift to give it to us all the way in season four. You know, like what a surprise to suddenly get like a full backstory or not, maybe not full, but, but get a better idea of where she was when this started. Well, they've put actress Madeline Brewer through the ringer so far with these storylines and her, and her relationship with Lydia being complicated, kind of mother, kind of not, you know, that all that. It's like a baseball team that didn't expect to have such a good player. And, and then all of a sudden they're like, you know what? We need to use that person more, <laughs> you know? I think, I think you're right. I think that she played this part so well. I, I mean, I honestly believe that this character probably was slated to go much earlier. I think that's what you're saying. But but whether it was Madeline Brewer or maybe just her chemistry with June, you know, I don't know what it was. But she has hung on in a way that I don't know that that was the way it was originally planned. Well, that episode from last season in the hospital. Yes. Talk about that because you were paralleling a lot to this one. Well, I think it's episode 309, I believe it is. It's the episode where 
they are in the hospital and there is a woman who is pregnant that they have kept on life support so that they can induce and and give birth to this this baby and june kind of loses her shit right and wants to kill this woman and janine it straightens her out it's the disappointment i think that that janine feels in her and the way that she's able to express that and janine and june have a complicated relationship and this episode doesn't make it any easier well i think it's a great example like you said though that was a point where they had set it up that june was the strong one always june was the strong one and the one that you could count on and it was janine though that kept june from making a mistake it was janine that basically saved the day and so i can see where and going into this episode i can see where that that is playing out again where they have a little bit more of a give and take than really is ever thought of between the two of them let's let's jump into their adventure here because it was woo I Paul every second I was like why are they doing that the amount of times that I said why why are they doing it that way I, I must have uh drowned out the sound on the show I'm usually someone that just watches and hangs on for the plot whatever it is if it's a Transformers movie and it doesn't make any sense I don't care I'm just riding along it doesn't need to make sense I'm giving Caroline air quotes I just need to have fun and that's it but watching this I I hit my top in terms of I can't believe that anymore in terms of like on this whole train, they're going to pass up like those Humvees that don't have locks on the doors. I know. And would be like big, comfortable seats in there that you could like snooze in. And go to this. The milk tanker. I can't for the life of me, Paul, the milk tanker. There's no plan. A refrigerated liquid. How? I mean, those. Go, <laughs> You're like speechless. Yeah, just going in. How do you how do you expect to get back out? I know that they did get back out, but you and I both know that's just movie magic. That was bullshit. movie magic because you and I do pull ups, and the idea that those women they vacillated so much with the way that they shot this. Okay, so let's let's jump in from the very beginning here. So we're following those train tracks, which you called it last episode when you said they've got to go where cars can't go. Mm-hmm. So super smart, they got on those train tracks pretty quickly. Which thank God when they were just running that open road. I was like, ladies, you are going to be picked off in an instant. So they got on those train tracks and they were going heading west. Interesting. The plan is to head to Chicago to go to the front because that's where they're still fighting. What do you think about that plan? I'm trying to figure out where they're at. I know that they ran through Western Mass. So there's some somewhere between Western Massachusetts and Chicago. I'm looking at the United States of America right now. And that means you've got to go through a lot of New York some of Pennsylvania, all of Ohio, all of Indiana, and then you're there. Mm -hmm. Train makes sense. That's that's all good. The idea of going to the war zone, to the front, again, it seems like there's there's maybe a better place. Well, okay, but you could understand why, because it's a place where you're guaranteed, guaranteed to have people on your side there. Now, how you get to them, I don't know how. We don't know yet. Or, you know, as this plays out, but, but you know where your people are, they're on, they're on the front, you know, and yes, you're having to come from the opposite side and get across the line and be on their side, but you know, there's people willing to fight for you there. So that's not that crazy of an idea. When you asked how far away I was like, oh, Paul, you got to get through all of Pennsylvania and Ohio. I just knew that much just off the top of my brain. I didn't even realize about Indiana and like you got more to go. It's a long way. That's the thing about this train ride. We can talk about what went on inside the train car, but I think I just want to emphasize that I don't I don't think they made it to Chicago when they showed that skyline. Perhaps a viewer out there could help us 
identify whether or not they saw that as the Chicago skyline, but usually the Chicago skyline has the Sears Tower, which whatever they call it now, who cares? No one cares. It's always going to be called the Sears it's, Tower. Here's the thing. We know it's not Chicago. It do, That no. doesn't matter. They didn't make it far enough, and we know they didn't make it far enough. It so, could be maybe Cleveland, maybe. That's sort of in the right area, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I don't I don't know how Up far they Lake made Erie. it. I mean, you would need to, um, I mean, you need a city, and there's not a heck of a lot of cities. Cleveland would be between you know? Yeah, yeah. So, so maybe so, but but regardless, we're still en route to Chicago. Let's get back to this tinker truck, uh-huh. okay? Because when she jumped down in there, I thought, I mean, I was like, why? Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? Here's the other thing: those Humvees probably even had the keys in them. Well, here's a little secret about those Humvees: they don't have keys, they right? Yeah, they're they're not meant to be. It's not like, oh, where's the keys? Oh no, we're trapped by the enemy. It, it, they're meant to be. Easy to start. So how up. do you start them? I'm looking at the Humvee pictures online, and they have either like a push start, like a button, or they have like a like a lever that turns, like a engine start, engine stop kind of kind of thing. So there's like a start, and then you let it run, or you stop it. It's just it's it's. Man, do you yeah. know how much I would have picked to sleep in the Humvee? And then if things went awry, I am launching the Humvee off of the damn train, <laughs> and I am driving it away. I know that I'm sure that they take up a lot of gas and all that kind of stuff. But you could have like a little home base in there, you know, like, oh, guys, I don't understand. I absolutely would have picked that. But instead, they pick this milk tanker, okay? Really, June does. When they jump down in this water and they're wearing those heavy wool-looking capes and everything. Why? Why? We have to go through this entire horrifying scene of them practically drowning as the train starts and it's sloshing in their faces. I was like, oh my God, this was like the dumbest. I'm like thinking I could be cozy in the back of a Hummer right now. Why are we doing this? And I am sopping wet now. My boots are full of milk. Like I am so pissed. My my little needle on the believability thing. Like remember, I just told you I'm, I'm willing to go along with anything except when it gets over the line and it stayed over the line when they bring up the idea of, well, you don't want to fall asleep because you have hypothermia. Because that's when you realize it's refrigerated? Well, yes. But then when they drained out the milk, there was still that that low level in there. If it's cold enough for you to get hypothermia, why isn't it cold enough for you to lose your feet or your toes? I would think that a low amount of milk would actually have frozen. Maybe. And stopped flapping around on you. But here's the other thing. They hadn't eaten in how long i would be drinking that damn milk i would have been drinking it and drinking and drinking like you should have had a full belly of milk like a little pussy cat i would have been drinking it up i'm telling you i would have with my little hands i'd have been drinking it up i that's what i would have been doing again going back to the how they get out where they are pulling themselves up can you imagine the weight of those wet capes. You and I pull ourselves up in like tank tops and tiny shorts, try to drag ourselves up over those, the bars to pull your full body weight up. And then June with one arm pulls a wet Janine out. You guys, this is asinine. Okay. Asinine. Movie magic. Movie magic for sure. We got to get to the conversation inside the tank though, because the amount of frustration we're feeling right now, Janine feels tenfold what is the right way to feel about being ratted out shit this is such a big thing when she asks her i almost thought to myself would i even want to know would i even ask the question i think you would your friends just died the one that that you liked the most alma just died horribly painfully so (sighs) i think you'd want to know what that was all about what that was for 
I guess I'd want to. Okay, so if I so if I felt I needed to ask, then I guess I would need to know the whole story. So then I think I would have probed far more. I would have been like, I mean, once she said that they had Hannah, I do think that that would have been enough for me. But at the same time, if I'm June, I'm telling everything. I'm saying they waterboarded me. They killed these other two women. They put me in a box. They That's the thing. Like, I would tell. Because she said something along the lines of, did they hurt her? And she said, I don't know. I, or something like that. She didn't, yeah. she expressed that she, that nothing actually happened to Hannah other than she was there. If she would have said something like, they did all this other stuff and that gave me a really good idea that Hannah was definitely going to be hurt, that might have been enough, you know? But just as, just with what June said, if I'm Janine, I'm like, it's not enough for me. I want, I would want to know the whole story. Like, I'd be like, look, we got time and you want me to stay awake. You tell me what happened. Tell me what happened. And I'll tell you what happened with us because she does. She's like, we ran, we made it here. Almost like, we're not going to leave. Like, that's why we were even still at the house. We didn't move on because we were waiting for you. Like she gave the picture that we needed to understand. Why were those girls still there? Why didn't they head on? She told us why June didn't give the backstory and everything. I think at that point, when she gets in Janine's face and says, I should have left you a long time ago. Yes. Holy shit. My head blew up. What this episode brought to the front for me, aside from what I mentioned about underestimating Janine, is a reminder of a chorus of questions that I've heard from other Handmaid's Tale fans, which is, why is June so great? Why her? What about her makes this story run in such a way that everything has to go her way and she's bulletproof? Why, why, why were people sticking out their necks? Why is Alma waiting for June? Why is Janine willing to put up with so much shit will, from her? Exactly. Why is she willing to do what she does later with, what is his name? Steven in orders for June to, to be able to eat that day. This episode doesn't show me why, why they're doing that for June. Well, do you, I mean, are you asking that within the show or are you asking that like, okay, because I think outside the show, she's the director, the producer and the star. I mean, I don't think it's confusing at all, actually. Like, I think she keeps herself in the show. I'm only talking about in the Within universe. the narrative, yeah. I agree with you wholeheartedly. They have to show she has some sort of golden uterus. She should have had twins or something where she was so magnificent. There was some, she held some key to something. She was related to someone. Something that made you feel like, why is her life valued more than the oodles of people we have seen slaughtered. Why? What makes her the golden child? And I know people have been complaining about this really since season one. Like, how can she talk back? How come she can get this? Why is she getting to go on a date to Jezebel's? Why is she like, why is she so special? And never has it really been exposed. She doesn't really to me, have this charisma or this charm that somehow she just bedazzles people into doing what she wants or something. But I really, I think they could have, I mean, you're a writer at heart. What could they have woven into her backstory or to her as a person? Like I said, I mean, I'm joking about the golden uterus, but like, say she had given birth to triplets or something, right? And then uh -huh. they were like, Oh my God, this woman is so amazing. She could do all this. We can never kill her. We can never kill her. What could what could have been a good enough reason for you to explain why she's the fair-haired child? 
I think there would have needed to be maybe a, a counterpoint to Serena in a way where, say, Serena had that background with her book writing where she was an iconoclastic figure. And, and that, that, on the one hand, made people interested in her and, 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 and follow her words, but it also made people hate her guts and want to shoot her, remember? Mm-hmm. Whereas what we need from June is a background of bringing all people together. You know, that would make sense. And book editor, you know, that's a very solitary kind of, kind of existence for what I think she would need to be this effective May Day person. So some background that makes sense with being more, much more diplomatic than she is and- And like charismatic. And charismatic and and and, and a bringer together uh, of people. Whereas, mm, uh, <laughs> you know, just just June is 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 selfish, you know, and 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 she has to be. I'm never. I'm gonna. I, I am. A, you, I'm gonna ban that word from Handmaid's Tale. There is no one in the story who can be selfish, because they're all in extreme duress. So okay. everything they do is for survival instincts. Nothing is about being selfish. I do think that her approach with people. I have a lot of question mark. I mean, when she when she is so vicious at Alma at the farm, yelling at her about various things, about not handling things right or whatever, I have huge question marks about like, again, going back to leadership skills. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing all the time? You know, she is smart enough to see the bigger picture, you know, so I give her a lot of credit for that. And they have established that as, as her character. So like, she can put together... Nightshade with Commander Keese, we could take this to Jezebel's and how can I make it on a larger scale? How can I get it out to all these commanders? You know, how can I basically wreak havoc here? She can think bigger picture like that, which plenty of the other handmaids don't seem to be able to. Really, plenty of the other people in all of Gilead don't seem to think much bigger than their small little station, you know? That's still a tactical approach, though, without understanding the whole picture. I mean, you're right. It is bigger than just her herself and, and her house. Her and Janine are the only ones that we've seen have something more within the households that they were assigned. So do you remember that Janine thought that her commander was going to like marry her and they were going to have this life together? Remember that whole thing after she had the baby yeah, and yeah. she had this whole idea in her head? Well, that's because somehow she had formed more of a relationship with him. Whether it was all in her mind or whatever, it was definitely more than the ceremony and all that, right? The Somehow they had had these conversations yeah. and all this. And and June had also had these these things with Fred that were more and bigger than just commander and handmaid, you know? Those two women were kind of similar in that way. Whereas, you know, we weren't privy to what was going on in the other handmaid's homes, but it wasn't it wasn't shown to us like that. So there's something about sort of taking control of their households in some way, you know, getting in with Serena Joy, getting in with Rita, you know, start getting in with Nick, the driver. Like there's something about it that they did show us that she had some amount of savvy to be able to start pulling the strings of multiple people in the household. And then you just take that on a larger scale. Right. It's just that first initial, like what made her so great to them in the first place part that is I guess wearing out it's like why are people continuing to 
to trust in her is, and this episode doesn't help that question. So that answers why it works on the handmade side, why people would follow her, but it does not answer why the Aunt Lydia's and the commanders and everybody don't just lop her head off. Everything I said only answers why the other handmaids or Martha's would follow her, but it does not answer why Gilead acts like she is the special chosen one. Not even a little bit. I don't have anything on that. For listeners, if you guys have a big reason why she is like set apart and and has a little like special force field around her, please share with us. Absolutely. Because, I mean, I don't know why she wouldn't be shoot on sight order at this point. <laughs> I think so. Wanted dead or alive. No? Exactly. I mean, shoot. Okay. So, first of all, I thought for sure that damn train was going to stop when they start draining out the milk. Because fluid would be coming out. And I got to think every once in a while, the conductor glances. I mean, I know they do have like rear view, you know, mirrors basically where they glance at the sides of the train. You wouldn't see fluid flying out the side of the train, you know? You might not. I don't know. I'm question mark, question mark. But anyway, the time it really stops, however, is with our scavenger freedom fighter people. Yeah. Who these people are. I mean, I think that they are maybe what's left of... Of Americans that haven't been absorbed into Gilead yet. They are likely freedom fighters of some kind, or that's maybe too lofty. They I think might it just is. Be, I just said scavengers. Yeah, they are just subsistence type, you know, trying to, they're not trying to regain the United States, probably. No, they're, they're, trying, they're to just just trying to survive. Feed themselves. They obviously have their own little system here. Steven is apparently some sort of higher up in their little leadership or whatever. It was the first time that we were starting to get some glimpses of areas of America that were not Gilead settled, if you will, but also were clearly not inhabited by Americans, you know, in a in a true sense anymore. There are maps that you can find that reproduce that map that we saw either last season or the season before at one of the commander's houses that show where the various territories related to the United States and Gilead lie, including the colonies and the condition of uh, different parts of, of the continent. And so this area being, say, I think it's essentially around, say, the Mississippi heading out west toward the Rockies. That is, I think that's probably just all a contested area. And so the front... You know, being being uh, mid somewhere on that path, uh, I would definitely say that Gilead is not involved with what's happening here. I think that you have to think of it more like this. They have limited resources and they've pulled their resources to certain cities. So this is just like the abandoned parts where it's it's land, it's buffer zone between what is their settled areas where their commanders and stuff live. It's this buffer kind of wasteland between that and then the front. You know, mm-hmm. and and they have to keep that because they need to be able to have a you know some cushion where if the if the you know where the women and children are need to be further away, they they're not going to settle right up against the front. You know, so that's what I'm considering this part. This is kind of buffer land. You still, know, still a no man's land as far as a legitimate. Very much. So we have June and Janine taken in by this group of people it seems like they go into this place that was like an indoor play place kind of thing it was very walking dead-esque like everything about the aesthetics the the storefronts the what the streets looked like people kind of carrying crap and like like shopping baskets and crap like that well the, you the know. buildings had looked semi recently bombed out you know that there was still smoke rising from various high rises and things in the downtown area in the distance 
So that helped give that um, dusty, you know, like you said, Walking Dead aesthetic. And I think that's what happens to the land pretty quickly when you're not like watering things, you know, if things just dry up and, and it's kind of like, you know, when you've seen like those videos where nature takes over buildings and abandoned places, it all kind of gets like dusty. And then just like the dirt starts climbing up, you know, and then all of a sudden the roots are like tearing apart the bricks and stuff. Oh yeah. It's yeah. kind of wild how fast nature takes right back over. Exactly. So how much did you hate Steven? Like on a scale of one to burn him alive. I would like to burn him alive. And I, I, as a man watching this show who tells other people to watch this show, I feel like I got punched in the balls a little bit in that it's like every man, regardless of affiliation, needs to show that he is a pig. And even though this Stephen guy lives with these people, the only currency that he can think of for these women is blowjobs. It seems so base and so sick. Like, I mean, when he started to say, who's going to stay with me? I was like, like I think I, I actually yelled out. I was like, oh my God, are you kidding me? Like, are you kidding me right now? And, you know, we talked about this last week that last week was the first time we saw Canadians be anything less than the biggest, warmest teddy bears ever, right? Uh-huh. And this time it was like, no part of me thought once that they found other Americans that they would have be anything other than compassionate towards these women. Like when they're like, are your owners looking for you? And like being totally like nasty and treating them like that. And then being like, oh, you're used to this. Like, why are you treating these women like this? What are you doing? I mean, to be honest, Caroline... I have to give the the creatives behind the scenes kind of the side eye on this. Like, depending on where we go from this, like, what are they trying to tell me? Am I am I am I as a man really? Am I not supposed to be watching this show? Is this? Uh, I mean, it, I understand that there's an audience for shows and that kind of thing, but am I? Patently not welcome to watch this show. Is that really the? the I don't know, Paul. I mean, I can tell you this much. On the day that we're recording this, I saw on TikTok and Twitter that today is National Rape Day, which means that a group of men got together and put out on social media that men should go out and rape as many women as they can. I know you. I know friends of ours that are all men who would say that is the sickest thing I have ever heard. And also, that's the world that this girl lives in. Me. I live in this world where men think that way. So as much as it was shocking that Stephen would say that, it's also real life. Like really today in your America, somebody got a big idea to say it was time to go rape women day. Oh my God. So yeah, in a way, this is what it's like. This is what it's like. So maybe men should watch and maybe they should watch with open eyes that like, yeah, yeah. That's the kind of shit that with that, that they would travel so far that they would run to these people and that the man would say, yep, come to me. Now give me a blowjob. Oh, my God. But at the same time, how shocked are you? I don't know, man. I'm a little shocked that, that he's not at least a bigger guy or something because seems a like another guy. What does that have to do with anything? Well, because, I mean, there are other people out there that would challenge that, you know? I don't and know. Someone... You say that, but... National Rape Day was trending on Twitter. So, I mean, it wasn't challenged enough to just like have it dissipate. Have why wasn't why didn't TikTok and Twitter and everybody take down those posts? Why mm. did they allow that to go? Because you assume I can't explain that, but because you assume someone bigger will police them. And the point is, is that 
not in the world I live in. Bigger yeah, but guys in that don't. world, that is a, you know, the bigger dog eats the smaller dog kind of world. Maybe. Or the craftier one or the whatever, you know? I mean, no, Unless, key- as, as we know from watching The Sopranos, that he's hooked up with a larger group and that's how he's protected. We just haven't seen that yet. That's just a guess. Some I know. It's listen, altruistic. All your frustration, pastor like definitely, out there with a gun would just. Take it should him out. not. It should not come. But like, like you and I are not going to like settle the debate. The the, <laughs> the sickness of it, I think, is absolutely real. The question mark about whether or not you should be watching the show as a man, I think you should, and I think you should understand that this is, if not for anything else, look at Janine. Look at how she's just basically bounced from bad person to bad person to bad person someone trying to take advantage of her and doing something terrible to her again there are plenty of people who that's what happens to them now men too don't get me wrong men are taken advantage of and and treated like shit as well but far more often women are and so in this case i think that they're trying to show us how desperate the situation is that even when you think you're safe you still are expected to be treated this way. And really, Janine wasn't even shocked. Like, she was like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Why wouldn't he expect that? What is it? Gas, grass, or ass? <laughs> right. I mean, that's pretty old saying, right? right? That's your currency. What do you have to offer up? He's trying to say all you have is ass, so that's what you have to offer up. It's really sick. It really shook me. It really, really shook me. How did you feel about the fact that Steven said, I'm not going to force you? Uh, or how I should say this. How did you fact that June said, I'll I'll be the one to do it. Janine, you leave. And then that Steven said, like, I'm not going to force you. Don't do it if you don't want to do it, but you can't stay here. Is it like I'm supposed to like him now because he'll turn you out on the street, but he won't force you to give him a blowjob so that you can stay? Am I supposed to feel conflicted about him? I don't know. Are you asking me? <laughs> I don't know. No, I'm just asking the the universe. I mean, it does add a wrinkle to a character who was just a straight up pig a second ago. At least he's not going to hold, you know, a, a gun to your head and make you do it. Does he deserve a parade for that? I, I No. No, I don't think so. But did it surprise you, though? Did you expect him to put his hand on her head and push her down? Well, that is the trope for sure. So, it yes, is. I did. I did expect that. I mean... So, yes. When he said, you're free, you're free to go. Yeah, they've been playing with the they word free. They played with the free yeah. a whole lot. And the question mark was, was she really free to go? Because what is freedom? If if at the end of the day, this is the only place where there's other people, food, resources, clothes, are they really free to go? Free to go where? Go stand in an empty building somewhere? Like, they are beholden to the situation. You know, they're not really free. Right. They could leave, but it's like certain death. Uh, it is playing a lot with this word freedom, without a doubt. Right. There might be actual rapists out there. We just exchange food for blowjobs. Like it's a, it's a totally rapist. different thing. Right, right. Okay, so then, did you enjoy the, the twist here? On the one hand, it sickens me to exchange blowjobs for food. But on the other hand, June said she could and couldn't. Janine sees where they're at on the whole, like you just said, the bigger picture, what no one thinks she can see, and acts to save the woman who just said that she should have ditched her ass a long time ago. So yeah, that was a heck of a twist. But really good parallel to the episode that you referenced back in season three, 
really good. Yeah. I mean, it was a really beautiful little like bookend to that in terms of like, look who saved the day again, put herself out there and did it for the team here. You know, like it's terrible. I, and I feel awful that sex keeps being pushed into this whole situation, that there's nothing else, you know, that they, it couldn't be. I, I thought surely it could be like, well, but we could provide information. We could tell you where we've been. We could tell you where, where guards are. We could tell you, you know, something wouldn't information be helpful but it seemed like no. I don't know. It makes ah, the whole thing makes me very sad. Do you suppose that in Janine's mind, this is all trying to make up for that stuff that went down in season one, where Janine needed to be talked down off the bridge, and June had to do it, and then there was the participation where June drops the rocks where they were supposed to stone Janine, and she gets all the other handmaids to to not. Yeah. Stone her. I mean, certainly there was a lot of times when June did help her out. You know, she was a good friend to her. And certainly, certainly. Maybe even her guardian angel in some of those moments, like participation, right? Mm-hmm. Like stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, she saved the day for Janine and took the punishment for it too. I mean, I don't know if it's exactly payback so much as it's just if you, if it was just the two of you and, you know, and your friend, like kind of amazing race style is like, I just can't do it. Would you step up and do it even though you don't want to just to, just to save the team? You know, I don't know. I mean, you know me. I do know you and you are a helper. You definitely always help. I wouldn't want to do it. I mean, I would be shaking like a leaf. I, I wouldn't want to do any of this. It, it, it would be so, the sex part of it all would scare the hell out of me constantly but at the same time if I if I saw that my friend went and did this and I realized like she was willing to try to do this and she couldn't do it for for whatever reason I know it's terrible and I don't know what I don't know what would happen like I it's horrible it is horrible the whole thing is so hard to to just explain I just it's so gross you know it was equally hard to believe for me (laughs) that in any universe Rita would help Serena with that baby. <laughs> Hells yeah. What was Serena Joy possibly thinking? I, I, can't, I can't even. It was almost like she wanted to intimidate her, maybe just based on their past relationship. The, the state of mind for Rita right now, you can't sum it up very simply. On the, on the one extreme, wanted her freedom pursued it, got it, enjoys it, but then on the other appears to miss certain aspects of Gilead life. I think that what we saw at the at the end of the episode of her eating her sushi in the sunlight, yeah. what she went through this episode really let me know that she needed to go through some sort of closure. You and I had the conversation of if we were called upon, if there was a request for our presence to this, you know, our captors, would we go? I was like, I don't think I could go. Like, I think I'd be a shaking, crying, fearful mess. Like, I don't know that I could go. I'm a chicken man with that kind of thing. I don't want it some heavy emotional like moment. I don't, and I'm not usually one of those people that needs to go in and, and get that last word. I don't think that that well on my feet to be like, and another thing, you know, <laughs> it, it doesn't really work that way for me. It's more like, oh, I should have said that. That would have really been the thing. I would have this irrational fear that somehow, can I come in and like read a statement, a pre-prepared statement? <laughs> I, no, seriously. I would have like an irrational fear that somehow 
like Gilead guardians would rush the building. And because I was there, I would get snatched back with the Waterfords. I would be so scared to be on their radar. I wouldn't even want them to know I was around or what I looked like or, you know, how far away I was from them or anything. I would just be so scared to get snatched back. And Rita, it turns out, was doing a ton of looking for her family and trying to find some place to be that she felt safe. I was really surprised when they said that Catholics were very good at forging passports and that's why there would be no record of her sister or her nephew. I was like, wow, we're getting a little bit of like nuggets here that I love. I love that world building. Me too. Fascinating that Catholics were the group picked to to be named for that for that detail. You know who I would have said? I would have said the Mormons. Mm. Because they're such fantastic record keepers. Right. I would have thought that they would have kicked ass at forging records and having some sort of, you know, ways to create IDs and stuff because they would just be so solid. They have all the information. They already have a network for moving people around the yeah. planet as it is. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That I would- mean, that were, they were the ones. <laughs> I was like Catholics. I'm like, crap, do, am I supposed to have some sort of secret paperwork somewhere? I mean, we're, we're technically Catholics. Maybe we should have stuck around longer. They were giving right. out fake passports. You got to stick around until <laughs> the, the fake IDs so come in. That, that's really the thing. I didn't even the realize. The sacrament of false papers. <laughs> I right. did not realize. But I don't know. So, so Moira gives her the choices. You want to say your piece to her face and get closure? Or you can let her rot. So I think we both said, let her rot. R-O-T. Yeah. But Rita goes. And, you know, my first thing that I yelled out to you was, this is a Canadian cell here, right? It's supposed to be some sort of whatever this is holding room. Why is it so dark? Why can't the lighting department get their act together and be like, this is Gilead over here. Light it dark. This over here is a different country. Light it differently it makes no sense are we supposed to think that they're doing some sort of like what's the word i say like rationing of the power where they they can't turn a light on no then what is the deal they're just not taking the time to do this are we just supposed to constantly be in a state of fear and that's the deal yeah Uh, everything's shit uh but the color grading is extreme you're right I'm the one that that selects the pictures that go along with the posts that we put on Facebook or whatever. And so I I get to go to the Hulu press site and select the pictures. And they are all... They're like black squares. Yeah, they were all just within a narrow band of drab coloring. I'm like, can you make out a face in that one? Yeah. I mean, it's so hard to see anybody. Okay, so Serena Joy in a complete state of, like, complete delusion right now. She seems to think, hey, Rita, want to raise this baby together? And like, wow, I'm right. having a baby. My cousins, identical cousins. <laughs> what did you think about the way that Rita responded? Praying with her and the, it's a miracle and all these things. Well, now that we know how it ends... It, it twists the purpose of the, the praying and, and all that that went on. In the moment, since they had set her up previously with going to visit the, the boy and cooking the traditional, if you, you know. Asher James. Yeah, the, uh, the food and all that. It, they, I think they were manipulating us to think that, that she was missing the old life so much that she would actually consider such a thing and... I was 50-50 on that at that moment. Now, afterwards, I'm probably thinking that she's thinking of praying that this baby somehow does not 
wind up getting raised by Serena or Fred because that will wind up in a very messed up kid. They got me. What about, what about you? <laughs> I I thought that at the time, Rita was, I think I thought she was kind of genuinely like listening. Like she seems to be somebody who is so raw right now that she just seemed to be taking it in and she like fell right into her role. Like Old everything rhythms. that Serena Joy said, she had the right response back. And she spoke back in the same way that she would have in Gilead. The the words she chose, the the respect that she had for her, the, the submissive kind of role she took to Serena Joy. So I think that part of it was just that habit and that and that power dynamic of like this woman was so effing abusive and well, that's why I said intimidating before. Yeah, yeah. I I I agree with you wholeheartedly. Once we leave there and I and she gives her this picture, this ultrasound picture, which I thought, what an odd choice. Right. When that happened, I was like, why would you give Rita a p- the picture of the ultrasound? Right. Right. But like, ah, uh, I was like, oh, there you go. That's the uh, Chekhov's ultrasound now. Right. <laughs> because why would Rita take this ultrasound? We get over back to Rita's place and Mark is dropping off this interview prep materials were you blown away by the fact that the defense lawyer thought that rita was going to stand up and defend serena joy what you said a second ago uh you picked the word delusional to describe her state and i think that that's fair that was a perfect word choice it comes across in this instance also the idea that tuello would have been the delivery boy for this is a little off for me yeah i think that's a covid thing probably i think so because you would have had other people yeah you'd had other people involved but we have to you know stick to this tight core cast yeah so i think you're gonna see a lot of don knots happening where it's like why is he the one to open the door why is she delivering paper like "Mm," because it's gonna be the same 10 people Tuello, are you an uber driver now (laughs) exactly it's gonna be the same people over and over again right Tuello's now the lawyer just like wearing his hair parted on the other side (laughs) i've got a i'm just back from a door dash uh just enough time for this case Paul, I have to ask you, how impactful was Rita's statement about her being a registered piece of property? You know, it sheds a lot of light on the Rita that we met first, how she was not super nice. Well, she was very no-nonsense. She didn't have a lot of extra words. She didn't have any kind words normally at first. I think that probably stems from the the idea of being identified as property and knowing that and where you stand with other humans standing right next to you thinking of you that way i think that would sour your outlook quite a bit absolutely i don't think i even realized the length that they went to that she would have to go to a place and be registered as a piece of property mm-hmm. that is a whole level of infrastructure that i don't even think i realized existed exactly i know that sounds kind of silly why wouldn't i know it but when you put it from in front of us like that. I mean, all I could say is, man, if I was Rita, I would say, I don't see how a piece of property can testify on anything. Yeah. That's what I would have said. I'm an inanimate object in the Waterford house, you know? Right. How am I testifying for you? All of a sudden. Yeah, not all of a sudden. You still look at me like that. Are you crazy? But that moment in the narrative, I had been manipulated into thinking that she had drunk a little bit of Serena's 
Kool-Aid. And now I was thinking she was much stronger than she'd been letting yeah. on. I think it actually like became a um, like a bucket of water over her head when she's getting this interview prep stuff. I mean, I think it was like just it was the push she needed to realize that she didn't want anything to do with anything having to do with Gilead anymore. And she was going to solidify that with her next move. Speaking of myself, who often may not understand the rules of a game or a certain situation, but is amused by chaos just for the sheer joy of seeing things bounce off of each other for a moment. Okay. I can really appreciate this move of hers because you're right. Once she does this, she's going to duck out of there and never see them again. Yeah. So she goes and sees Fred and Fred says, how are you? Are you with your family? And she's like, I'd rather not say it. And I'm like, already, girl, you are 10 times smarter than me. Like, I'd be like, I can't find them. I don't know where they are. Because I'm like an idiot, right? But like, no, she's like, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you where I live or what I'm doing. And then they have the free talk again. Oh, you're free to do what you please. Yes, I am. We aren't friends. I suppose we're not. All that business. Oh, boy. What is this? Why do they think anyone is friends with them? What is wrong with the Waterfords? You got no friends, people. Okay. And now the part that I titled on my notes, Rita's Revenge. I will pray for your son. <gasps> when she says that, I was like, oh, Rita, you rascal. You are so smart. Way to absolutely blow their shit up. And just walk away and have her sushi. Oh, my God. A little, little bowl of miso and edamame. Her Diet Coke and her chopsticks. I was like, girl... That is a celebration. With the bright light coming in. So much light. I felt so happy for her. And also, I want to say, in that ultrasound picture, that baby was ginormous. How far along are we supposed to believe <laughs> Serena is? This is boggling. TV magic again. I guess. Some amount of time passed on the train and whatnot. Because there was, apparently. You know, ironically, uh, Janine had spent about five minutes standing in front of a uh, whiteboard. That oh, yeah. That, how big is your baby how now? How big is your baby now? And they were like yeah. little bits of fruit, like blueberries or strawberries yeah. or whatever. With how many weeks that it would be. Yeah. Right, right, right. And then they show a fully formed baby <laughs> in that ultrasound. I was like, uh, that baby is like, I don't know, probably 25 weeks or something. I mean, that baby is fully, like, very formed. I was like, good Lord. So that part was crazy. I was like, how much time has passed? That baby is big. <laughs> That's what I wrote. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Okay, Paul, what do you want to see coming up? Where do you think we're going from here? Give me some predictions. Give me some hopefulness here. We have to get the lay of the land. We have to get our bearings. Um, June and Janine, I, I don't think they're long for Steven and the Blowjob Club. I think that they are going to figure out I where they're at. I call Steven and the BJs. Steven and the BJs. Yeah. Tonight. Right. And I think they're going to want to get out of there as soon as they can and try to figure things out. I mean, do you think they're going to find a person within Stephen and the BJs that turns out to be a better person that comes along with, or are they going it as a duo? I think their hope is to find a larger organization. Remember, these are two women that still have their hearts back in Gilead. They want to get the children that they bore out as well. They don't want to just run. They could have just run already, apparently. Right. 
that makes it complicated. That's why they keep looking for May Day, right? Because they yeah. need to connect with the organization that's still back there. Well, but that's a little confusing. Isn't it? Well, yes, because June was so clear with the girls at the farm when she said, we are May Day. You know, and when she talked to the lady at Jezebel's, she was like, we are May Day. May Day's not a thing like that. Like, we are May Day, you know? So looking for May Day is a little tricky. And I mean, I did appreciate that she asked Stephen and Stephen's like, what's a May Day? So it was like, oh, dead end. Like, if we're in a labyrinth, you hit a dead end. Like, this isn't it. This isn't the direction that the safe houses were going. Mm -hmm. So I don't know exactly what they're going to do. Do you think that they continue on to Chicago? I think it would be exciting to see the front. My God, could you actually imagine seeing some battle, Paul? That would be very exciting for this show. It would be. It would be. uh, They have picked and chosen, you know, when they get big on this show. Even though this is a different world and all that, they still show us just little, just little bits, you know, and then the rest is just empty wasteland yeah so i as a science fiction fan world building fan would love to see what my uh handmaid's version of chicago looks like what is going on i would love to. can see they that. do this with covid and everything i mean can they show us battles can they show us people everywhere i mean can they really show us this i know when we when i go back and i think what were the times when they've shown us more of the world right when they did the world building it's when we went to dc and we saw all the other women and we saw all these other commanders and we were out at like the washington monument and all that kind of stuff there was a lot of people and like how can they do this with covid do you think they're gonna have to change the story do you think we could possibly see something so exciting as a big old battlefront You know, that's a great point. There are limits for how many people can be on set at any given time. So they could do it, but it would be a smaller scale. You know, we would see stuff happening behind them. But in terms of like ranks and files of of people rushing, uh, uh, I don't think we can see that because I don't know that they're going to spend that kind of money on on CG armies. So, I mean, I think that they're going to continue on to Chicago. That's my very best guess. I think that that makes sense. And maybe they'll even run into Nick along the way there. And that could be their third in this group here. I do think with the Waterfords, though, man, how exciting to see. Because Fred is going to absolutely petition for full custody of that kid. Because while he has all this badness in Gilead, she has the forced rape of of Nick and June. So that's got to be considered not good for the baby, (laughs) right? (laughs) But like over here, yes, he's a commander and yes, he's involved in this country and blah, blah, blah. But like also... He's just got regular war crimes. Which parents better, you know? I don't know. But I totally see him snatching this baby up, no? I think he's going to make a move. I think so, too. Well, this is Caroline. And this is Paul. Thank you guys for listening. And don't forget to please rate, review, and subscribe to Pod Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Five stars, people. It helps other people find the show. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.